Today we are going to talk about a spirit-led mission. Now, for some of us, some of us, just saying spirit-led or spirit-filled, like, like you kind of get scared. It's kind of like um, crazy Uncle Larry at the uh, family gatherings. You know, like, he should be there, and he's really kind of supposed to be there, but if you get too much of him, things just get crazy. And so maybe some of you are kind of that way about talking about the Spirit and stuff. I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on and what's happening and, and that, that sort of thing. A Spirit-led mission, Spirit-led mission is simply this, it's simply this. It's hearing and following the Spirit. Hearing and following the Spirit. Now, when it comes to hearing and following the Spirit, like, the Spirit is a spirit, right? It's like not somebody right there that you actually talk to. So what does this look like? And so we're going to take a look at a couple of different stories in the book of Acts um, that, that, that kind of show us what this looks like. Now, first of all, first of all, we primarily, primarily the Spirit shows up in two different ways in Acts, two different ways. Now, Luke wrote about the Spirit about 70 different times in the book of Acts, by and far the most in the New Testament is, 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 uh, is, is Acts. And so how does the Spirit show up in Acts? And what does it look like? Two primary roles of the Spirit in Acts. First of all, confirming people's salvation. Confirming people's salvation. That the Spirit comes on, gives a visible evidence of their salvation so that other people can go, yep, they're saved. Second of all, second of all, it then leads, the Spirit leads those Christians to go find new people that the Spirit has already been working on to go find new people to trust in Jesus. Two primary roles of the Spirit in Acts. Now, if you expand the study of the Spirit to other books of the Bible, the, 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 the roles of the Spirit do expand beyond that, but those are the two central primary roles of the Spirit. All right? So we're going to take a look at uh, a couple of these stories in Acts and see what it looks like for the Spirit to lead us in this mission. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. We'll throw the uh, verses up on the screen. Follow along in the, in, the, in the Bible app. The Bible app, you can find that in your App Store or Google Play. You can also follow along under the resources in, in, in our app. There's a link there that will take you to the, to the event uh, in the Bible app. You can also crack open a hardbound Bible and follow, follow along. Where we're at in the story, remember last week, those of you that were here last week, we were talking about seven guys who were appointed to, to form a team to be able to take care of this injustice and prejudice that was happening inside the church towards a certain group of widows. And so these seven men took care of that. But two men in particular, the Bible keeps telling us about their story. They don't tell us about how they solved this problem. They told us about how the Spirit led them to a bigger ministry than even serving widows. That Stephen was the first Christian martyr and, and he... Uh, and he started serving tables. That was Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 8, we follow this guy by the name of Philip, who is the second guy listed in that seven. And we see that, 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 that the church was being persecuted by a guy by the name of Saul. You know, this is that dun-dun-dun moment in, in Acts, that, 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 that Luke is foreshadowing this guy by the name of Saul. And he was leading the persecution towards Christians. This caused a bunch of Christians in Jerusalem to disperse. 
to disperse out. One, of such, one such Christian was a guy by the name of Philip, and he went to Samaria. And we see in Samaria that a revival broke out. This is the same Samaria in John chapter 4 when Jesus engaged that woman at the well. Same Samaria. And I'd have to think that that Jesus' ministry, Jesus' work there in John chapter 4 led to this revival breaking out underneath Philip's watch and Philip's work. This revival was was just crazy and breaking out. It said the Spirit showed up and confirmed that these Samaritans were being saved. And in the middle, at the apex of this revival, this happened. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Now, this would be like, this would be like Billy Graham in his heyday having a, uh, having a revival in the L.A. Coliseum, tens of thousands, if not 100,000 people showing up a night Thousands of people getting saved. They're extending the revival because, because so much is happening. And then God's showing up at the apex of this revival. God's showing up and telling Billy Graham, go down to Highway 66 in the middle of the desert, Radiator Springs, and go. I know Radiator Springs isn't a, a, a real place, but... Just, you know, humor me a little bit just to get the picture of what we're talking about here, okay? All right, all right. I probably couldn't say any other town in the middle of nowhere in, on Highway 66 or Route 66 uh, that you would recognize. So, you know, the, the whole town, yeah. But we're not in the middle of the desert. So that would be like, like that. And Billy Graham just up and leaving this revival. And everybody around Billy Graham's going, what do we do now? I don't know, you figure it out. And he, I got to go. And so Philip, it says, so he got up and went. He gave up the chance of hundreds, and if not thousands of more people under his watch coming to know Christ to just go. God didn't tell him why. God didn't tell him what he would find. Just go to a desert road in the middle of nowhere. Okay. I'll do it. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. This is the CFO of the queen of Ethiopia. Ethiopia at the time was the biggest, most powerful nation in Africa. This was not some small dude like he had coin, he had power, he had prestige, he had political power. But he was a eunuch. For those of you not familiar, that means man parts were beat to the point of not being able to function. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Which meant, which meant, and the, these verses are in your study guide down, down, farther down in the event in the Bible app. Which meant he could not be a full participator full participator in the worship in Jerusalem. And it says he had come to worship in Jerusalem. He was kind of a semi-Jew. He could not fully participate in the temple worship. It's kind of important to this story. But we see this one guy in the middle of the desert, and Philip comes upon him. 
And he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Remember the two functions of the Spirit in Acts? Sending Christians to find new people that he was working on who did not believe in Jesus at the time. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, I don't know what this looked like. The chariot's going around and Philip's just running alongside. Hey! <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, in the middle of nowhere, you're probably afraid of robbers. He is the CFO of the Queen of, of Ethiopia. I'm sure that his entourage was pretty, you know, bling. And this dude's just running upside. Hey, how's it going? What you reading there? In the middle of nowhere. This guy just runs up beside your, your chariot. He's <laughs> like, hey, how's it doing? You doing all right? Everything going good. What you reading? All right. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth, and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? Now, if you're like me, you've had conversations where five minutes later, or the, that, ne- that night, or the next day, you're going, Holy cow, this person opened up a conversation about Jesus, but I missed it. Now, I think we probably would all get this one, right? And the Ethiopian looks at Philip and says, who is this guy talking about? I think we could probably all answer this question, right? Jesus. Jesus. The Spirit was leading this Ethiopian guy, and then leading Philip to meet up with this Ethiopian guy for this moment, right? No coincidence that this was going on. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. And the good news about Jesus is that he is God himself. He showed up on this earth. He lived a perfect life, died the death we were supposed to die to forgive us of our sins and resurrected from the grave in order to give us a brand new life apart from this sin. That's the good news. And Philip tells him about this good news. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Lo and behold, in the middle of the desert, there's water, right? Just so happens. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and and, and everything surrounded that, 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 that if you believe in Jesus, that he'll forgive you of your sin and bring you into a brand new life. The baptism, the baptism is a outward symbol, is is the outward symbol of that inward change. And Philip baptized him. Remember this eunuch? not being able to fully participate in worship in the temple. That baptism was telling this one man who was pushed kind of sort of to the backside of religion that you're fully immersed in Jesus. 
in God and his community. You're not halfway in. You're fully in. For those of us here that maybe it's hard to imagine, it's hard to think because of what you've done or your past or whatever that you could be fully immersed by God and in His community. The same offer is for every single one of us. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you still struggle with that, that thought that you could be fully immersed. The story is here to tell us that we can be. And that that's why Jesus died, is to allow us to be fully immersed in Him and fully immersed in the community of believers. But it also goes on to say, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch no, did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Some people think this, this was a quantum leap thing, like, like he disappeared and showed back up in this, uh, this other town. Some people think well, it just meant that the Spirit led him away, that he just walked off into the sunset, away from this guy to appear in the other town. Whichever way it was, the important part is that the Spirit led Philip to new towns to find new people who need to find Jesus. Right? Again, we see this theme continually coming up again and again and again in Acts. Now, we're going to go to another passage in Acts, Acts chapter 16. Remember the guy Saul that I referenced to? Most of you know the rest of his story, right? God knocks him off his donkey as he's going to Damascus to, to, to persecute and arrest and end up killing Christians. He becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, let me set a record straight. The, the, the Bible never says that he changed his name because he became a new person. You know what Luke says? And Saul, who was also known by Paul, blah, 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 blah. So he just went by two names. And then, so Luke just decided to call him Paul from there on out. So now we've got Paul. He's gone on one missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey. And something interesting happens on the second missionary journey. The first time I read this and understood and opened my eyes to this, I'm like, man, what is this all about? Chapter 16, verse 6. They, Paul and his traveling companions, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit, prevented by the Holy Spirit, from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Isn't that odd? That he would try to go into an area in order to preach the gospel, but the Spirit would just not allow them. It just wouldn't work out. I found that odd the first time that it clicked of what was going on there. But... As we continue, so bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out to, for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. He shut one set of doors in order to open another into Macedonia, which was the introduction of the gospel into the Western world. Our spiritual heritage, traced back far enough, would go back to this moment. 
It's huge, right? It's huge. There are times that we will work towards a direction, but it just doesn't work out. You know, it's beyond like, like it's hard work, so therefore we don't want to do it. It's like we are trying to do the work, like Paul was trying to do the work, but it doesn't really work out. But if you think about it, if you think about it, there's a whole lot of places to evangelize, right? And God's got one set design for us as individuals and us as a church. He's going to lead us away from some places and lead us towards other places. Just take missionary partnership. I've tried to work this into a couple of different ideas and stuff and it just never really worked out. But then Craig, those of you that, that are familiar with Craig, contacted me and it's like, oh. And we've kind of walked down those steps. We're still kind of we're still walking down those steps to see where God's really leading us uh, with a mission with a with an international partnership. But that's kind of what it looks like. We can't go everywhere. We can't. But God wants us to go somewhere. And he's going to lead us in that direction, kind of funnel us in that direction. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Like this, these are cool little stories, right? But what does this look like in every day? First of all, spirit equals new. We've got to remember this. Because quite often we'll say something along the lines of, you know, something good happens to us, and we say, oh, the spirit was in that, right? The spirit is not interested in our comfort. The spirit not, is not interested in, in how well we, we, we have it made. The spirit is interested in the kingdom advancing to new places. So we must remember this. The spirit equals new. Now, is God concerned about our needs? Absolutely. But the spirit equals new. New places, new people. Second of all, second of all, as you go. When Philip went to Samaria, the spirit, it didn't say that the spirit led him to Samaria. He just went to Samaria. He got driven out of Jerusalem because of persecution. He went to Samaria, but he assumed since he was found himself in Samaria, he assumed, I'm going to preach here. God wants me to preach. I don't have to pray about this. God wants me to lead people to Christ because I'm here. As you go, wherever you're at, in your work, in your community, uh, at the ball practice, at your hobbies, as you go, you don't have to pray about it. God wants you, God wants me, to find new people, to invite them to learn about him. We don't have to pray about that. He specifically said that. But at the same time, as you go, always be ready. Philip was in the middle of this revival. But he was ready to leave at a moment's notice. You notice? To go tell one person. See, our American numbers mindset would look at this story and say, Philip's a failure. Look, I've received mailings in the past of evangelists boasting of how many have gotten saved. Millions have gotten saved under my ministry. But are you f- hearing and following the Spirit? 
It's not about millions being saved. Now, would we like to see that? Absolutely. But he may lead us away from the masses to the one. And if we're reaching the masses, but we're doing it without the Spirit, it's a difficult area to be in. Always be ready. Now this may not look like you leaving your job. It may look like as you're praying, somebody comes to mind. You text them, you email them, you call them during the day. Maybe it's that you get to work and you always go straight to your desk. But for whatever reason, you needed to go by the break room and you see somebody there and they're obviously dejected. As you go, always be ready. Maybe it's that person on the side of the road. But there's just something in, in you like, you just need to stop and talk to them. As you go, always be ready. Maybe you're dropping your kid off at ball practice and there's somebody there that you're like, I need to talk to this person. As you go, always be ready. That's what this talks about. That we can be spirit-led. Think about that. That God himself wants to lead us Two new people. This building is not the church in which Christians come to hide in. The church are people who leave the door open so that the light can go to people who are living in darkness. That's what the church is. Always be ready. As you go, always be ready. Imagine this. We're down this morning. But what if just this number of people? What if everybody who considers themselves cross-pointers had this in their mind? Not to reach the masses, but one. That we're praying every week, God, one person. One person to talk to. One person to invite. One person to tell them about Jesus. God, would you send me one person? Will your spirit send me to one person this week? What if? What if 60, 70, 80, 90 people had that prayer on their lips every single week? What if? It would change a church. We would start to see people here who are curious about God but didn't believe in them. But believe in him. What if, what if you had that prayer on your lips every week? One person, one week. One person, every week. The Spirit wants to do that with every one of our lives. Will you be the one with that prayer on your lips? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you send your spirit to, to lead us and guide us. I pray that overall that we can be a spirit-led people. That we're led into new areas, new places, new people. As a group, but as individuals. 
Let that prayer be on our lips and on our heart as we go throughout this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to worship God here in this space. Reflect. Maybe some people that might be the one for you that God's sending you to. And ask God to give you Philip-like stories. There's going to be some people in the back if you want to talk to them about this Jesus guy and what that's all about. We'll be more than happy to talk with you. But reflect. Reflect on who God might be sending you to. One person, one week.